and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Jo Milmine and this is episode 57, Cast On, an interview with Brenda Dane. I feel a need to laugh again with you, if that's alright. Yarn in the City creates experiential, yarn-centric events for knitters and makers designed to bring people together through a shared love of craft. Yarn in the City organises the Great London Yarn Crawl, taking place on Saturday the 5th of September 2015. For more information and to book your tickets, go to www.yarninthecity.com today. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday the 4th of August. How are you all? I hope you're all well since last time. I spoke to you last week with the lovely Amy Herzog and you've all been having a great week. uh, Doing a bit of knitting and whatever else you're doing if your children are off school because it's the summer holidays. I hope your sanity is remaining intact. And that you're all having a jolly good time over summer. If you're a new listener, welcome into the show. It's lovely to have you here. Um, feel free to say hello to me. Give me a little tweet at Shiny Bees and tell me you're new. And um, tell me where you came from. It would be lovely to speak to you directly. And if you're a returning listener, as always, I truly appreciate you joining me for another show. If you're someone that I actually know, because I found out that people I actually know listen to the podcast this week... My mother-in-law was listening to it at the weekend, which is very off-putting when she's in the next room. It's a bit weird. Obviously, I listen to the podcast before I send it out. I edit the podcast and I send it out. But I never listen to it after that. I never listen back to any of them. And in my mind, nobody listens, let alone people I know. So when I heard my mother-in-law listening to it and commenting on how lovely Amy Herzog sounds... And then I found out that my, my friend who doesn't actually even knit and her husband were listening to the podcast one night for a bit of bants. Yes, LJ and Critch, I'm talking to you. Uh, I was actually mortified. I was like, you can't, you can't listen to it. You can't. Nobody listens to it. And of course, I know that that isn't true from those of you that send me lovely messages and chat to me um, in general about your knitting stuff. My mother-in-law does actually knit. Um, but LJ and Critch, they don't knit. Maybe they ought to. Maybe they ought to. I do go into their house sometimes just to sit quietly and knit for for a bit of a change to be left alone. <laughs> um, but hello to both of you anyway. And um, so a huge thank you is in order from me. I already recorded this episode once and was in the middle of sending it up to the internet this afternoon when I discovered that thanks to all of you... The podcast has been nominated in not one, but two categories in the UK Podcasters Awards. And I cannot even tell you how excited I am about that. I did a periscope and my hands were actually shaking. And I've done some pretty hectic stuff in my time, uh, in my previous job, where I've been in very, very scary and... um, life or death kind of stressful situations shall we say without putting too fine a point on it and I've never had shaky hands and I've never really been that shocked because normally when the closer the poo gets to the fan um the better I perform to be quite honest I prefer it when it's um 
when it's all going a bit peak tongue, shall we say. So I was very overwhelmed to find out about not not only being nominated in the games and hobbies category as a finalist in the award, but also completely and utterly down to your efforts and nothing to do with me is the nomination in the engagement audience engagement category as well which that is against all the other podcasts not just the games and hobbies one all the other podcasts and there is absolutely no way that would have happened without all of you supporting me nominating me tweeting me retweeting me nominating several times some of you have I cannot tell you how grateful I am to you for doing that I know you all do it because you love the show I know you all do it because you want the knitters to get somewhere and that is exactly the page that I am on frankly and I just really want to celebrate how great you all are because you've done that there's no I couldn't get us nominated for an engagement award without you guys putting the nominations in so it's all down to you your actions have made a difference and um, now the nominations are in they're doing an actual voting process so it's kind of like the same thing again but you will see the other finalists that are up. So as I say, I'm in the games and hobbies category and I'm also in the audience engagement category. So you need to vote in both categories, please, for it to count to its fullest extent. And I would hate for us to have come this far and not win it now. I'm already planning my knitwear for the event and I'm undertaking a large statement shawl on your behalf I, I mean, much as I would like to wear a knitted thong or some kind of faux taxidermy. And you know that's where, you know, I, you know I would. If you guys wanted me to, you know I would. Not sure that's quite in keeping with the dress code. But a beaded shawl could go down very well. So I'm I'm already planning it. Um, but I, I need your help again uh, to just to get those votes in there and, and make sure that we, we do win. There is another knitting podcast in the games and hobbies category as a finalist. She's a very lovely lady. She is a nice podcaster. I I don't care at this point. Don't vote for her, vote for me. Okay? Because we can't all win. Or at least if you're going to vote, vote for her one day. If you really can't decide, vote for her one day, vote for me the other day. But every day, vote for me in the audience engagement because she's not in the audience engagement finalists so you can alleviate your guilt that way if you'd prefer um but massive call to action if you can vote i will put the links in on the website again for you so it'll be www.shinybees.com forward slash uk hyphen podcasters hyphen awards or if you go to shinybees.com in the top bar there is a little quick menu top tab saying uk podcasters awards click on that and then if you click on the image on the next page i will change it so it now goes to the right page again and you can vote for me really quickly there if you wouldn't mind tweeting it out on twitter once you've done so i would really appreciate that likewise with facebook or indeed um google plus that would be really really appreciated i'm not sure exactly how long the voting takes place for so vote every day <laughs> until they say stop um but the uh the actual awards is the 12th and 13th of september i am planning to be at the event um and at the conference as well so it would be awesome to rock up in a beautiful beaded shawl and show the world that knitters knitting's not just for nanas but it's for nanas as well it's not just for nanas though cool young people do it and you know what fringe podcasts 
why not? There's something for everyone in a podcast and I really want to celebrate that. So head on over. There'll be loads of Twitter links and stuff that I'm going to pre-program into so that to remind you if, you know, I know you are, you are all really busy and I do appreciate you taking the time. And I'll remind you at the end after the interview because once you've heard from lovely Brenda, you'll have such a wonderful time you might have forgotten. So thank you, thank you, thank you again. If you're very quick, you'll catch my periscope where I'm basically shaking and I have no words to describe how how pleased I am and overwhelmed that, that it even happened. I didn't think we were going to get anywhere with the other podcasts that are on there and certainly not to be in a main category. Um, it, it's really amazing and I just want to kind of go and trumpet trumpet the knitters, the crocheters and the comedy yarnisters really. So head on over and give me a little click. As I record this I've also got some very special news that I would love to celebrate with all of you. The show Little Shiny Bees, Little Shiny Bees the knitting podcast that started in Africa where we, we learned Afrikaans and talked about snakes and had the plinky plonky music that Millie wrote for me on, on GarageBand has passed 100,000 downloads which might not seem like a lot but it's certainly more than I ever thought I would ever get and um, I'm really grateful to each and every one of you who've downloaded one or more of the shows in your Shiny Bees listening career and have given me the opportunity to come and entertain you during your knitting, your walking, your mail delivering in Alaska, you're roaming through the Danish forests, cleaning your house if you're Louise Hunt, I seem to do a lot of cleaning with her um, and whatever else you get up to whilst you're listening to the podcast I'm really grateful for you tuning in and giving me the opportunity to entertain you um, for half an hour, 45 minutes a week and uh, I know you are really busy people and I'm really grateful for you spending time with me so Thank you all very much for that. I didn't realise we got quite so close to that so soon and it sort of snuck up on me a little bit. So what I intend to do is come up with some evil master plan for next week to celebrate that because I think we should celebrate all the victories in life and I think that's that's really cool. You've all helped me achieve that and I'm really grateful to each and every one of you for doing so. So thank you. In other exciting news, the Vintage Shetland project that we discussed on the show a few episodes ago, I think it was episode 55 with the lovely, lovely Susan Crawford. There's four days left to go on the Pub Slush campaign and I am ex super excited to tell you that so far she's managed to raise £23,768 towards the publishing costs for the book, which is amazing so if you want to take part in that head on over there super fast because it closes in four days i'll put a link in the show notes as has been the case for the last few episodes and if you're coming back to the podcast after a little break with being uh, busy with it being summer and you haven't listened to that yet i highly recommend you go back and listen to episode 55 with susan who was an absolute joy to interview very inspiring lady very good fun and lots of top tips and really good advice uh, for people who want to get into the industry and just for people in general about, you know, being true to yourself, be who you want to be, finding your own voice 
and talking about her passion for what she does, uh, which is evident from any of her books if you've read them. There's no way you can write a book like she writes a book if you don't absolutely love what you're doing. So I heartily recommend going over and checking that out. And as I say, if fair owl knitting is not your thing, it might not be for you, but do pass it on to someone who is into fair owl knitting because it is, it's like a mass, it's like a kilo bar of chocolate for a fair owl knitter. Um, it's it's a really really interesting and um, detailed project. I particularly enjoyed the um, blog post by uh, Susan's husband Gavin, who designed the software for recording all of the colours in the pieces that Susan has recreated. It was very interesting, and my husband actually read that as well because he's a bit of a software geek. He likes to write apps in his spare time, and he's into all things computer, and. I showed that to him and he found that really interesting too. So I'll link to that in the show notes as well if you haven't seen it. But it's another illustrator of the depth of detail and the amount of effort and attention to what's going on to making sure it's as good as it can be that was put into this project. So definitely worth checking out there. So what have I got for you today then? Well... Today is another interview episode and these will most likely continue until the end of September when we when we welcome Claire back because I've had lots of lovely feedback about how you're all enjoying it and being able to dip in and out of the different interviews and not feel like you're missing parts of the regular segments because I know a lot of you are going away on holiday, travelling around with your families or you're busy with your children or um, other things that you might not ordinarily be busy with because it's summer. So we'll continue with this because I like to keep you guys happy and I do like a good interview myself even though it's considerably more work to edit. I don't mind as long as you guys are happy. I love having a laugh with all these different nitty people and we'll probably continue that until the um, end of August and then we'll get into back into the swing of things once Claire returns as well. So I have an interview with Brenda Dane. Now, Brenda Dane, you will have heard of most likely as the voice of the Cast On podcast, which was the first knitting podcast. She's also the organiser of the Gwilana Wool Retreats in Wales. And she's come on today to talk to us about all of her journey, really. Some really interesting projects that she's worked on. And uh, we get deeply into knitting philosophy it all gets uh, quite deep and interesting compared to the normal level that you get on, on the podcast where it's all just a bit of bants, you know, have a bit of a laugh with people. There's actually some considerable thought that goes into um, the philosophy of knitting and ripping things out. Uh, and indeed, dare I say it, the birth of a new podcast segment. Uh, Brenda was very interesting to talk to. She has some really good thoughts on things. So I'm sure you will all enjoy it, particularly if you were a fan of Cast On when it was out and if you haven't listened to it it's still available you can go back and listen to it cast on with brenda dane and uh, you can hear her own unique take on the knitting industry i did have a bit of a fangirl moment when she said she actually listened to my podcast i nearly fell over i didn't actually know what to say i sort of stuttered a little bit and uh, was a bit embarrassed <laughs> because nobody listened to my podcast obviously where did those hundred thousand downloads come from because <laughs> nobody listens in my head and um, I'm delighted to bring her on. So without further ado, go get yourself a Boss because that's what I'm on. I take my Boss with milk and honey and you should too. 
It's very good for you, full of antioxidants, and we will crack on with the show. This episode is sponsored by Yarn in the City. Yarn in the City organises the annual Great London Yarn Crawl, which is taking place this year on Saturday the 5th of September. This year's Yarn Crawl will also feature the addition of a one-day pop-up marketplace, taking place at Chelsea Old Town Hall and featuring over 30 vendors from London and around the UK. To top off the weekend, on Sunday the 6th of September 2015, Yarn in the City will be hosting author, pattern designer and technical editor Kate Atherley for two workshops in central London. Introduction to knitwear design and pattern writing skills. For more information and to book your tickets to these events, head over to www.yarninthecity.com. Super, so I'm delighted to welcome Brenda Dane to the show today. Hello Brenda, how are you? I'm very well Jo, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. Ah, no problem at all. So, we'll crack straight into the questions and can you tell us, for those who are not familiar with you and cast on, um, a little bit about you as a person and about how you came to be interested in Yarni Pursuit. Well, we'll tackle the last bit first, since that's the easy one. Um, I had a really good friend named Jean, who was a knitter, and I didn't know this about her. She was kind of a closet knitter. She kept it, you know, at home, <laughs> quietly to herself. And then one day we met for coffee, and she brought her knitting with me, and I was just um, intrigued, uh, kind of shocked that she was actually doing it out there where people could see it. And this was back in the late 90s, so, you know, there weren't any knitting public days. Knitting was still kind of um, below the radar, so to speak, as a craft. And I asked my friend if she would knit me a sweater, and she said, no, but I'll teach you how to knit. And that was the beginning of my yarny career, I guess, that, that day that she took me to the yarn shop. And she um, she showed me a pattern that was by Kristen Nicholas. Um, it was a classic elite pattern. And she said I could use any yarn that I liked because we could always alter the pattern. And it was just really wonderful, the whole way, the whole process that she introduced me to. There were no rules. She wouldn't share her tools. She said you have to buy your own. So I bought my first pair of knitting needles. And she got me started with knitting, you know, right away with natural fiber. She said don't waste your money on any, you know, acrylic has its place and it's not in your wardrobe. So, um, so stick with the natural fiber. So other than those couple of rules, buy your own tools and work with natural fibers, there weren't any. And she began by um, measuring a sweater that fit me really well, and we created a, a pattern out of brown craft paper. And she said, okay, here's how many you cast on, and we'll do the ribbing first for the bottom. It was a bottom-up sweater. And then as long as your knitting fits this template that we've cut out, as long as it fits, you know, the shape of that, then you're okay, and you know it's going to fit. And so that's how I first got started. I knit my first sweater in pieces and then seamed it together, and it was actually kind of a wearable garment, <laughs> surprisingly enough. There weren't too many mistakes, and I actually got something out of it, you know, at the end that I could really wear. And I was hooked. After about two inches of knitting, I was hooked, absolutely hooked. And so that kind of led to, um, I mean, I just, I've been a fanatic about knitter about knitting ever since. I've been a knitter with a capital K ever since then. I'm not really sure how 
how I got to kind of be a person in the industry or make a career in it, that happened rather organically, and I didn't really plan for it. But the inception of it all was that first meeting with Jean at the coffee shop where she said, I'll teach you to knit. Oh, cool. And you must have been pretty committed to be hooked up to two rows of rib, or two inches of rib as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so obviously you've just alluded to the fact that, that it wasn't a conscious decision and moving into being an industry person that works within the industry was more of an organic thing. Yeah. Can you describe that process as it happened? or? Well, here's the thing. I... I... From the very first moments of learning how to knit, I was really wild to talk about it. I really loved talking with Jean about my process. I was on the phone all the time saying, okay, this is happening on my needles and I don't know why, or oh my God, I just did this thing and it's so cool. And, and then when I, I moved on to my second garment and my third and my fourth and I really became a more seasoned you know, knitter, I just never got tired of talking about the process. And I have a background in broadcast journalism. And so when podcasting kind of reared its head, and I live in the country way out and, you know, in the middle of nowhere and there's no one around me that knits, it just seemed like a really obvious fit for me to turn on the microphone and just talk about my knitting. And that was really the impetus for the podcast was just I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to share what I was doing. And I didn't have anybody around to do that with, and so I just thought I would do it at a microphone and and lo and behold, knitters were interested and turned up. And that's pretty much how it started. It, it began really as almost a, an art process. It was more about the crafting of the shows as well as sharing what I was doing than it was about you know, having it be a business or, um, or setting out to make money of it. I never really did that. So there was no business plan. There was no way to make money out of it. I just kind of had to fall into ways <laughs> to earn a living doing what I really wanted to do. So what does a typical day look like then for you? Well, I, I like to begin every day with a bit of knitting. <laughs> I really do. You know, I have tea, I have breakfast, I see my partner out the door, she goes to work. And then, you know, if I'm lucky, if I have time in the day, I'll, I'll sit down and, and try to knit for 45 minutes or an hour. And I find that it really helps me focus my day if I can just begin with a little bit of knitting. I don't always get 45 minutes to an hour. Some days I don't get to do it at all if I'm facing a deadline. Um, but even at that, I like, to work, I like to work it into my day, you know, at various points. Pick up the needles and even just do a, a row or two on whatever I'm working on. And so it's kind of an integral, you know, it's kind of, it's knit into my daily life, basically. I mean, I think a lot of people can identify with start, starting your day off the right way with a little bit of knitting, definitely. Yeah. And my typical day-to-day -day working life is spent primarily in front of the computer these days. Um, I'm, I'm writing and working on websites and putting together a, you know, series of events, and so a lot of my work happens on the computer, and because, you know, if you do that for a long time, it, it has effects on the body. I, I do like to break it up, you know. I'll get up, go downstairs, pick up my knitting, and just do something a little bit different during the day, and I really feel incredibly blessed that I'm able to do that. Um, Most of the day begins for me after my knitting. I kind of go through, I have a really simple little process for staying on track, keeping track of all my projects, and I have this um, little wooden box that's full of index cards, and it's my brain. That's my brain in the box. 
um, it's just index cards, and, and each each card is you know holds the project, and then there are lists of everything associated with that project. Sometimes there are two or three cards, and those um, have a fancy paperclip <laughs> holding them together. But that is my oh-so-technical response to my technical lifestyle. You know, just the stripped-down process of writing things down on index cards, and then I shuffle the deck in the morning, and the stuff that's important floats to the top. Those cards get laid out on my desk, and then as I work through all of my things, all of the projects and the processes to completion, I get to check things off my list. And it's a really great day when the card can go in the shredder because it means I've done everything and I can move on. <laughs> That's brilliant because there's so many kind of apps and programs and so much software these days for doing this kind of thing, but nothing really beats that feeling of crossing something off with an Yeah, I can't you mean and writing with a pencil, you know, or a pen actually physically picking up an object and making marks on paper. You know, there's something really visceral about that. And, I mean, I've looked at all sorts of productivity tools and helps, and and I just keep coming back to my brain in a box. I've been using it for years now. It's really simple, really, really simple, and just very effective, and it works for me. It's not fancy. Sounds like a good plan to me. So, um, obviously, in the beginning, you told us about your first project, and... Design, designing a sweater for really for your first project that you ever knit. Can you tell us a little bit about your creative process? Hmm. That's a really tricky one for me. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a, an easy answer for my creative process. Um, it's, Creativity is sort of it's woven into the daily fabric of my life. You know, my partner is an artist. We're both makers. And so projects just sort of happen naturally and organically throughout our, you know, our daily lives. And I move from dyeing with indigo to spinning fiber to starting a knitting project, um, dragging out the sewing machine and, you know, working on a garment. For me, they're mostly textile-related projects. Um, the creative aspects of my business are kind of managed with that brain in a box. Um, to be honest, I, I find it, the, the question kind of confusing. It's almost as though creativity is something outside of, like a process is something that's, I don't know, measurable, definable. And for me, it's just a, um, it's like an essential thing in the sense of like being part of one's essence, you know? Um, I don't think I'm special in that respect. I think everybody has that, you know, the urge to make, the urge to create, which I guess is what you're talking about when you say creative process. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. I've interviewed so many people. And everyone does it differently. Some people, it's a very sort of basic thing where creativity isn't something that they think about. It happens. And other people are very regimented. They like to start a mood board. They like to collect ideas. They're very process-driven in the way that they create a new design or a new colorway. It, it really varies. There's no right or wrong answer, that's for sure. I think a lot of it's driven by your personality. Yeah, I don't, I don't create... Uh product in that same way, you know, when I think of my own creativity, I think of it as, um, you know, everything that I want to make with my own two hands, um, 
that's how I think about it. I suppose it can be, you know, you can be creative in the way that you approach a business, you know, especially in a creative industry. But I'm not, I don't think of it as a regimented way, you know. I don't require anything in order to jumpstart the process. It just is part of who I am, I guess, in my daily life. I hope that doesn't sound, <laughs> I don't know, um, pompous. <laughs> I worry that it does. But it's it's just another aspect of how I present to the world, I guess, how I am in the world, a way of being authentic. Yeah, uh, as I say, I don't think there's, there's it, there needs to be a set process. I don't think there's anything wrong with it just being something that just happens without any kind of specific thought going into, right, I'm going to sit down and create something. I'm going mm. to decide what I'm going to sew and I'm going to make this thing and I'm, I'm making a conscious decision. If you're a creative person, naturally, I think it just it just comes out in everything you do. Yeah, it's really true. Over the weekend, on Sunday, for instance, Tanya and I were both involved in our own separate projects. Tanya does a lot of woodworking these days, and so her stuff is mostly wet or, you know, covered with shavings, and so it stays out in the garage. And my stuff is all fibery, and it doesn't mix with her stuff, so it stays in the house. And as I'm trying to lay out fabric and, uh, and design a, um, a garment for myself, I am struck by the fact, again, that my dining room table is too low for this and it hurts my back and it's been this way for 15 years and I've been complaining about it for 15 years and on Sunday I said right let's fix this problem and we put our heads together and Tanya looked in the pile of scrap wood and came up with a bunch of like pieces of two by six and she glued and screwed them all together and drilled a hole in the top of each and made stilts for my table. And so now it's eight inches higher than it was. It's at waist height. I can use it to cut out fabric. I can use it as a standing desk. I can use it to, but there were just blocks of wood. And so when it's time to be a dining table again on Sunday night, they can go away and they can go out to the garage. That to me is like the essence of creativity. It's like finding a need, solving a problem, looking at something in a new way, making something different than it was before. Necessity is the mother of invention, after all. Yes. No, it's really interesting. And it, as you say, sometimes you are driven by a need to solve a problem or to make mm. your life a little bit better. It's not just a case of sitting down and dreamily looking off into the middle distance. Yeah, wearing linen. <laughs> yeah, usually. If, if you're a bit lifestyle, you would definitely be wearing linen. And there would definitely be some peonies, perhaps, in a very Absolutely. beautiful jar next Big, to Big, pink, blousy peonies. No, the antithesis of that are these silly little stilts for my dining table because they're not pretty, they're not photogenic, they're completely utilitarian. It was made out of the wood that Tanya was thrilled to find. It's like, oh, good, I can use this crap over here because it doesn't have any other use other than to burn. So it was really, um, that to me is just like that's the embodiment of really, of real creativity. There's like a pioneer spirit to it. Also, there was thrift involved, and we, it just makes us both so happy when we're thrifty, you know? Something about thrift that's very pleasing. Oh, I couldn't agree more. There's, there's <laughs> nothing better than finding a use for something that looks useless. Yeah. Definitely. So we, we've got into quite, quite an interesting conversation there. So I'll bring, I'll bring us back onto track. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I do like to go off on a good, um, on a good tangent. Um, <laughs> no, um, no journey's ever smooth. And running a business has its ups and downs. Can you tell us about a time when things maybe didn't go quite to plan? 
what happened and what you learned as a result of it. It's really difficult to pick one. <laughs> I have a lot of what I would consider, well, you know what, it's, I guess it's failure is all in the way that you look at it. I think the most recent example for me is probably the May Gualana. And this is an event that um, is held in a country hotel in Pembrokeshire. And I've been running them uh, first with Amy Singer in 2011, 2012. And then um, we stopped doing those together for a variety of reasons, mostly having to do with like being a long distance you know, business partner. And, and I, started, I decided to start them up again and do them with teachers here in the UK to get around some of those, you know, long distance issues. So my very first foray into events on my own was the Make Walana. And I, I wasn't thinking about having one in May. I was going to wait until October. But then this hotel, which normally is booked out through the spring and summer because they do weddings, had a cancellation in May. And I found out about it in March. And I thought that was enough time to pull together a retreat. And I was wrong. Most of the people who listen to my podcast, or a huge percentage of them anyway, probably 75% of them, are in the, in the United States or in North America. And two months, eight weeks till the event was not enough time for those people to make any kind of plans. So I had a retreat with um, one person came from North America, three people came from Britain. So I held a retreat in a hotel that can you know, hold 30 <laughs> and I'd been used to booking these hotels out, you know, booking every room for these events, and I sold four tickets. And it, at that point, you know, when we're looking at a couple of weeks before the event, and, and it's really clear that it just doesn't matter how much marketing I'm doing, it's, I feel like I'm tap dancing with sparklers and nobody's noticing, and there are no more sign-ups. Just no one is, you know, no one is signing up to this event. I realized I had an opportunity to, um, like, cancel or make it work. And... And I chose to just go forward with it and make it work. And um, it was a success in that I gave everyone who came exactly what they, what they signed up for. You know? It was a lovely retreat that was um, small and select, is <laughs> the way that we described it. Um, my fellow teacher, uh, Felicity Ford, Felix, who wrote that lovely book, Mix, Mix, uh, the Nitsonic Stranded Colorwork Sourcebook, was my co-teacher for this event. And the two of us kind of... We had a really lovely weekend really getting to know a smaller group of people. I didn't make any money. <laughs> and so in one sense, I mean, I guess you can say that that's a failure. But the fact that the retreat went ahead, we all had a really good time. Fun was had, and I got to know a group of women in a really lovely, very intimate way. Plus, we all learned good things and just had a really, just we had a ball. So in that respect, it was like I, I delivered on what I promised, and I went forward with it. And even though I didn't make any money, I still counted it as a success. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is about, you know, learning things and appreciating that maybe as creatives, sometimes we get carried away with an idea and an opportunity will present itself. And we, we run with the idea, and we're very confident we can achieve it. Mm. And maybe sometimes the practicalities are the last things that sort of come forward in the way that you've said, you know, eight weeks to get most of your audience from the States over to the UK is a very short time frame. Well, the thing is, I, it didn't occur to me early on in the process that that was going to be an issue. It was only with the lack of sales that it really became glaringly apparent, that, you know, that this was the issue. And in identifying it, that makes it really easy to avoid the next time. So right after the 
make Wilana finished, you know, I launched the, the you know, the, all the details for the one that's coming up in October. And that one has, well, it was like four and a half months to events. So, you know, sales have been really good. They've been really strong. And we have, you know, months to go still before um, before the event. So, I'm, you know, I'm really confident that this is going to be a different experience. So I did actually take that on board and learn that we're we're never doing that again. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to launch an event with eight weeks. It's just not enough time. You know, just not enough time. Yeah, but I think it's important. You know, some people they never do anything because they're so frightened of what's going to happen if they try it. And every person you speak to, even people that you think would never do anything wrong because they just seem so amazing, have massive clangers that they drop. Yeah, and, and and these learning experiences, but actually, you know, nearly every story, in fact, every story I've ever heard, it's ended up turning into something bigger and better on the other side of it. Well, here's the the, the real thing for me is that, you know, if someone were to have asked me back before the Make Wilana, what is your worst case scenario? I'd have said, not selling enough tickets to break even. Well, I have faced my worst case scenario. And I survived and thrived. Everyone was happy. I delivered my part of the event. I enjoyed myself. I had a really great time. People who came had a great... I mean, I had, I've hit my worst-case scenario. I don't have to, to fear that ever because I've already done it. Exactly. And, and actually, when you're in it, it's not as bad as what you think. Exactly. You just get on with it, don't you? you know, no oh, lives were lost. That's a success, right? No one died. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So taking it then from that opportunity for learning and where things maybe didn't go quite to plan, but it all turned out fine it all, and you had a great time, uh -huh. what has been the opposite of that? What's been the high point of your journey so far? Wow. You know, again, this is another one where I, you know, there's just so many. So many places where I just, you know, kind of pinch myself. Um, like this is my job, you know, this is my day job. Um, knitting on top of the fourth plinth, that was pretty spectacular. It was just a lottery, of course, you know. I signed up to Anthony Gormley's project, um, I think that was in 2011, 2010 maybe. Um, the one and other project, you know, where he had just people from Britain doing whatever on top of the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square. And so I, I, I kind of won the, the lottery and the jackpot really. It was a Saturday afternoon at one o'clock in July and the weather was perfect and I had giant knitting needles and got to see a view that very few people ever get to see sitting and knitting up there, um, you know, as part of that project. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, my North American tour, which kind of came off the, um, the backs of Cast On, uh, I, I just put together a teaching tour so that I could go around the country and meet lots of my listeners and and teach some of the things that I've been, you know, talking about in my podcast. And I also launched um, the Memorable Yarn Project, which was a, an art project that I began in 2012 uh, specifically for the tour. And it was, there were two parts to it. It was a, pre a presentation, um, basically a, a, a lecture, sort of a performance about knitting and memory and what happens to our brains when we knit, actually what happens to our brains when we make anything, when we're completely involved and the world slips away and you lose all sense of time and that moment of 
you know, being in the flow state and what actually happens in your brain. And it kind of stemmed from a question I had of like, why is it that when I pick up my knitting, I get flashbacks from the music I was listening to or the movie that I watched or a conversation that was happening while I was working on the piece the last time. And so I started doing some research and I found a lot of reasons for that. So I presented that. Um, and then also I asked for participation from the audience and from my listeners. Um, I asked everyone to knit a tiny little two-inch memory bag, came up with a little pattern for a little tiny bag, and then to fill out a form, you know, download the PDF from my website, and to write to me about a specific memory that they had while they were knitting the piece, or maybe they used yarn that was in some way memorable to them, and they could tell me that memory, any memory that they wanted to share with me. And so I, I kind of traveled across the country teaching, and gathering up all these little memory bags. Some of the stories were funny. Some of them were heartbreaking. Some of them were poignant. I mean, it just really it runs the whole gamut of sort of humanity. We're all just humans, and we all kind of share this experience. And there are similarities, and there are differences. It was just really wonderful to read all these stories. Um, but the pinnacle of that for me was the kickoff, and that was um, – the, the Memorable Yarn Project was launched in New York City at uh, Lion Brand Yarn Studio. And I did some teaching there, but this was an evening event, and there were about 120, 130 people who had come to hear me talk. And part of the talk was about um, my memories of a particular sweater, was kind of woven into all that conversation about what happens in our brains. And at the end of the evening, I take this sweater out, the sweater that I've been talking about the whole night, and I begin to unravel it. And it's a whole sweater at that point, not in bits and pieces, a whole sweater begun right there at the very first event in New York City, and the reaction of the audience was priceless. There were shrieks, there were gasps, there were, no, I'll take it, don't, don't touch it. And I had to say, you know, it's for art, people. We're doing this for the art. So I unpicked the collar and started to unrip the sweater, and it just, it was wonderful. It was a really wonderful evening, and it really launched the whole Memorable Yarn Project in a very memorable way for me. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you. Um, I wish I'd been there. I was horrified just listening to you recount the story. <laughs> I could feel that. I, you, you know, I think you hit on it. A lot of people were totally horrified but the point of the story was that this yarn had come from my friend Jean the person who taught me how to knit and I had knitted into my second sweater and the second sweater you know eventually my skills eclipsed those that were evident in the second sweater and when you're wearing a garment and people ask did, did you knit that if it's not another knitter then you know it looks like a shabby hand knit you know like maybe it's not something to be proud of anymore and so I wanted to save the yarn and unravel it and knit it into something else so I did that and this second incarnation of that yarn is what I was unraveling you know in New York City that night so it's to become a third incarnation that will eventually be part of the the art piece which um, the first showing of the art piece is actually coming up I'm going to be at the yarn in the city uh, marketplace and a memorable yarn will be part of that uh, yarn in the city marketplace project oh awesome i'd love to i'm definitely i'm going there and i would love to talk oh, to you more about it so oh, um, really nice to meet you face to face yeah absolutely i'm, I'm still a little bit panicked though 
me catch my breath, Brenda. All this ripping out of sweaters is stressing me out. <laughs> so, That's the beauty of them, isn't it? Well, it, it is, but I'm massively nostalgic. I would want to keep it so I could see how far I'd come. I did that with my first sweater. I did keep my first one. You know, I haven't ripped it out to save the yarn. Mostly because it's lamps quite bulky and it would be a nightmare to rip out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, there is something about the first sweater that was really, you know, I touches something. I have come a long way since that first garment. I really have. Especially considering it was a classic elite pattern that was designed for mohair. <laughs> and I knitted from lamb's pride bulky because Jean said I could. Oh, brilliant. I'm sure we can get some mohair for you if you'd like. <laughs> some 90s no, mohair. Yes. That would be wonderful. Oh, cracking. Um, so which one thing that you know now, moving from the mohair and the lamb's pride, or, or possibly incorporating them into this question indeed, um, which one thing that you know now did you wish you had known when you picked up the first ball of yarn? I think you can fix mistakes. That you can rip back and fix mistakes. Again with the ripping. I'm really sorry, Joe. I don't mean to distress you, but I'm all about the ripping. You know, it's just if you catch a mistake, it doesn't matter if you've gone six inches. You, you can rip it back and fix it. You can actually, you know, just take one stitch out and run it back and correct it. You can take out three stitches and run all of them back and fix a miscrossed cable. I mean, the fact that it's so fixable and that if your fix doesn't work as you intended it to, you can still rip it out back to where the error is and then you can go forward. That knitting is fixable. That is the biggest lesson I wish I had known. Yeah, definitely. I'm all for fixing them in the process. I just can't imagine taking this thing that you finished and, oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's see, you know, we're back to the thrifty idea again, you know? For That's some true. reason... And I talked about this in the last um, cast on podcast. But for some reason, I find more pleasure in working with recycled yarn in salvage, even though I have a stash full of brand new pristine yarn, I would rather unravel and save the yarn from a sweater that I'm no longer wearing and, and give it new life in a new garment. I find more pleasure in that than I do in, you know, picking a pattern and, or designing something and, and working with new yarn. And it's the same way with sewing. I'm much happier using repurposed clothing than in cutting into brand new fabric. There's some, some element of Victorian thrift. I, don't, I can't explain it. All I know is that it just it just really pleases me when I can rework an existing something into something that's all brand new. Oh, that's a good point. This is definitely a good point. It's um, thrifty. Thrifty, I know. Well, I don't know. It's just, virtuous. It is. It's a good thing. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we should just totally go and get all new stuff and, and be throw away about anything. I just, yeah. so for me, I, I understand where you're coming from in terms of being able to use little things that don't appear to have use is deeply ah. satisfying, but I'm incredibly nostalgic. So if there's too many memories associated to said project, I would find it difficult to rip the memories out. That's really interesting. And that was part that kind of harkens back to the, you know, the memorable yarn project is that, you know, we do work 
so many memories into the things that we make, you know, and especially in those things that take a long time, like a sweater or, you know, a pair of socks is like one stitch after another, and it might take 20,000 to create a garment. And so you spend a lot of time and you work a lot of memory into it. You know, but then the question is, Joe, do the memories reside in the garment or in you? Oh, wow. We're definitely on craft philosophy. <laughs> well, I mean... Well, see, now you understand why Cast On is in the philosophy section of iTunes. Because that's, those are the questions that I find really interesting, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, again, it would be one of those questions that's, that's different for everyone, the yep. answer, I would imagine. Yeah. Because um, some people probably just don't think anything or they don't think. It's just a process. They want to have something that's finished and to wear. And it's all very practical. And, mm -hmm. and then there's the... Romantic dreamers <laughs> can't bear to rip out an old fitting sweater in case the memory disappears. <laughs> oh, crazy. So you'll like this one because this is very practical. Des Assuming you're going to be marooned on a desert island, of course. Okay. Desert island skeins. If you, were, if you were going to be marooned on a desert island and you could only take one skein or ball of yarn, what would you take and why? Ah. Uh. I can't trade the skein for a tool? No. No, we, we've got some sort of advance notice of marooning whereby you've managed to think this through and pack one skein. One skein. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you wanted to take tools with you as well, I mean, we're just talking about the skein aspect, so... Okay, well, my first instinct is to say a drop spindle because then I could spend time on the island investigating all of the different ways to make yarn with what's available to me there. Um, but if I have to have a, a, a skein, one skein to take with me, and we'll say ball, because I don't want to wind this thing by hand, would be like an enormous skein of lace weight. Because <laughs> you get more bang for your buck out of lace weight than anything else, in my personal opinion. You get more knitting out of that skein of lace weight, stitch per stitch. You know, stitch count is highest when you've got a, a skein of lace weight. So it would last a long time, hopefully until I'm rescued. Lovely. What sort of blend would you go for? Hmm. I think probably wool. I would probably do a pure wool. Because wool you can you, you can wear when it's hot, especially with lace weight. If it's fine enough, you know, you can work with it when it's warm out. It, it keeps you warm and it keeps you cool. It wicks away sweat and it also keeps you warm. So probably pure wool. Cool. Good answer. <laughs> so what's your favorite or go-to resource then for yarn craft or that you use in business that you couldn't do without? Okay, for yarn craft, I would say a Nostapin because it gives me the ability to wind my own center pole balls. And unlike a traditional, you know, hand crank ball winder, the tension is always perfect on them. They don't collapse in on themselves. And also, Tanya makes them. <laughs> she's a wood turner, so I have access to, I think we probably have 20 or 30. I mean, she's been using it as a shape to practice her wood turning. So we have Nostatins galore. So that's my crafty tool that I wouldn't do without. In terms of business, um, my dad was an accountant, retired accountant. And he was my go-to business guy before he passed away a couple of years ago. And he taught me about um, a little spreadsheet called a break-even analysis. Would not 
be able to live or run my business without a break-even analysis. It basically tells you how much money you've got coming in, how much money you've got going out, and how many people or things you need to sell before you break even. It's absolutely indispensable. I use one for every single project that I'm doing. And I don't always, I mean, I might sometimes choose to not make money. I might choose to just break even and not actually have a profit. But it's really useful to see where your profit is when you're in business. And then you can make the choice, you know, to have profit or no profit. Yeah, because sometimes um, that actual, really the desired end state of, of what you need to be able to do the project or, you know, understand the financials is something that comes after the inception of the project and not something that drives the design of the project in the first place. Yeah, and it is helpful. It is helpful as a sort of, project design tool to know what that point is, to know where your profit, you know, how, how thin or thick is your profit margin and how important is the project to you and can you take it forward without making a profit, which is sometimes a choice that I make. Sometimes I do things because they're fun um, or because it's the right thing to do or, you know, because I've made a promise to someone and I need to keep my promise. Um, there are all sorts of reasons. Um, but the break-even analysis tells me the ramifications of each one of those decisions, you know? Yeah, that's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. Do you use a spreadsheet or anything for that? Or I went to um, the Microsoft website. In fact, my dad didn't create the break-even analysis for me. He said, just Google it, honey. You'll find it. You know, just look for a break-even analysis. And I found, the, um, I found it on a Microsoft website, just one of those documents that somebody creates and uploads. And I've been using the same break-even analysis for um, five years now for all of my projects. The same one. It's very simple. Very, very simple little tool. And I've only really felt the need to alter it. Um, recently, my projects have started to become a little more complex with different, different types of price points, different um, costs associated within the same project. And so I've needed to get some help kind of modifying my spreadsheet. But for most projects, just the basic, you know, I'll tell you what I, my dad said. Just Google it, honey. <laughs> You'll find it. Awesome. There you have it. Brenda Dane is laying down the knowledge there for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. So for those who are maybe not familiar with you from Caston, etc., where's the best place for listeners to find you? Well, you can find me at guilana.co.uk. And I blog there about, um, oh, things having to do with the upcoming retreats. Gualana is, of course, the Welsh word for wool gathering. And these are a series of retreats that I started up in May. Um, and we've got big plans for May 2016. Um, my partner in crime is Carson Rack. And uh, he's a, you know, the colorist behind the wonderful palette at Triskelion Yarn and Fiber. And... Um, and so that's, that's mostly where I'm blogging um, process stuff right now. Cast On still exists, and that's at cast-on.com. And that is a repository for uh, 10 years worth of podcasts. <laughs> um, I'm still podcasting kind of now and then, every three or four months. On the solstice and equinox are on or around um, solstices and, and equinoxes during the year, mostly because I really missed making them after I had my big farewell you know, goodbye to cast on. I've said everything I need to say about knitting. 
um, I realized I hadn't actually <laughs> said anything <laughs> I needed to say about knitting, but it's 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 not really cast on in the way that you know the, the way that it developed over the last ten years. It's not it's still me and it's still a podcast, but it's just a little different than cast on it. I'm not I'm not really sure where where the podcast is going right now. I don't have a, a real clear path. I just know that you know when I when I miss talking about my knitting, it's time to turn on the mic and talk about my process. So you can find me there. And I'm building a personal website at brendadane.co.uk. It's still very much under construction. Um, but that's, that's the new home for me on the web. I'm kind of carving out a new little piece of real estate, mostly as portfolio and a real place where I can share the things that I'm learning. So my everyday blogging will take place there. But it will probably be a month or so before that one's really ready to go. Cool. So have you got any parting words then of advice for those who would like to maybe get into the industry? Hmm. Yeah, I do actually. Um, it, it took, this is like 10 years, you know. This is a lesson I that took me 10 years to learn. And it was that um, people showed up and liked my work because it was authentic. In my podcast, I am truly myself. I'm never anybody else, just who I am, Brenda Dane, you know, live and uncut. That's who I am. And it's that authenticity that I think helped my listenership develop. That's the thing that people were attracted to, is just the, the honesty, you know, me honestly being myself. And so two words, that's my advice, is be authentic. If you want to um, get into this business as a designer, you know, uh, have your own voice as a designer. Be yourself. Um, don't base your work on, on the work of other people. Be who you are. If you want to be a podcaster, be who you are. You know, the thing I love about your podcast you know, is that you are who you are in your podcast. It's really easy to see the person behind the microphone when I listen to your podcast. And that's, you know, that's what I always try to do. And I think that's why you have developed a following as well, because you are who you are. You don't hide, you know? It's very refreshing. Oh, wow. I can't believe actual Brenda Dan listens to my podcast. I'm a bit starstruck. <laughs> <laughs> why would you have to I mean, you listen to podcasts, right? I know, but you never think that anyone listens, do you? I didn't for a long time. I you just don't, and it's weird because because you you've been on my coach with me in South Africa, um, and I've been listening to Cast On, Cast On, and your your guy really does his intro and stuff, and it's really weird to imagine that someone actually listens to you, although they clearly do. It's weird. Oh, thank you, Brenda. <laughs> You're I completely agree. You know, there's so many people who who try and sanitize who they actually are. And who you are attracts the people who are interested in you. So just be yourself. Don't don't apologize ever for who you are. Yeah, there's a um a broadcaster in the U.S. named Ira Glass, mm -hmm. and he runs a um a show. He's like the host of a show called This American Life. And one of my favorite quotes of his is that we all have good taste. Everyone has good taste. And your job is to show what your taste is, and then you will attract the people around you who also share your taste, and then you all have good taste together. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Your vibe attracts your tribe, apparently. Exactly. There you go. Um, so let's get us excited. 
we want some gossip. We want to know what's going on. What <laughs> is next for your business, Brenda? Well, I kind of alluded to the the, um, the event that's happening in May of 2016. It is um, we haven't we haven't officially announced. We haven't officially announced yet, um, but we're going to very soon. And it's it doesn't take place at the typical Beggars Reach, our lovely country hotel. I, what I wanted to create was something that was a little bigger and um, a little more affordable. And so we have found a venue in Mid Wales that will hold, you know, 150 to 200 people. And we've invited some really amazing teachers to come. And so we're kind of planning this learning-based event in Mid Wales that will take place in May of 2016. I'm a bit excited. I'm going to have to go clear my calendar right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weekend of May 5th. Uh, I think it's 5th, 6th, 6th, 7th, 8th, something like that. Take the first weekend of May. So mark your calendar. Save the date. And keep an eye on the Gualana website, and also um, there's a Facebook page for Gualana. And uh, I'm sure I'll be, you know, announcing loud and clear in the podcast on, at CastOn. Super. Do you have a mailing list for people to get on to? I do, actually. There's a mailing list sign-up on the Facebook page and also at gualana.co.uk. Brilliant. Because then at least you know you're definitely not going to miss anything because Facebook is a nightmare at times. Yeah. And the mailing list, actually, we open up registration for the events um, just a little bit earlier for the mailing list people than we do for the general public. So it's really worth getting on the mailing list if you're serious about wanting to come to one of the Gualana events. Brilliant. Well, I will put a link. Um, I will get the link from you if that's okay. And I can put yeah. it in the show notes so people can just come straight to the sign-up. If they're not necessarily got time to look at the website, they can pop straight over there. Great. No messing. Perfect. <laughs> that's where we like it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, how exciting. How exciting. Yeah. Lovely. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Great. Joe, it's been really wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Brenda. It's been an absolute delight. I think there's definite mileage in a craft philosophy type chat at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> Just a quick reminder before you all go off and plan your knitting for the week, head on over to the UK Podcasters Awards and cast your vote for the Shiny Bees podcast in Games and Hobbies category and also in the Audience Engagement category. That one is all about you guys and I want you to win it um, just because you're all awesome, basically. I will put a link in the show notes, which are always, as always, at shinybees.com or you can go directly to shinybees.com forward slash UK hyphen podcasters hyphen awards or if you go to shinybees.com in the top menu there will be a tab called UK podcasters awards if you click on that and go into that post you can click on the graphic it'll take you straight there well I'm afraid that's all we've got time for I hope you enjoyed the show and enjoyed our little chat with Brenda I'm sure you'll agree she was a very entertaining interview guest for us to have. As always, all the show notes will be on the blog for you uh, to check out over the next day or two. And all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for listening. Happy crafting, have a great week and I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye.